If you grew up in an environment where you lost both parents before the age of 10, and then you ended up spending your entire childhood with an abusive step-parent, it would turn most of us into somebody who is mean and bitter and a savage, but not Marla Batista. She took those difficult circumstances of her upbringing and she's turned them around. She found the good in them and she's using her terrible upbringing now to make a huge difference in a major metropolitan area in our country, helping the homeless and bringing people out of poverty that went through exactly what she went through. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest, Marla Batista, on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. Hey, Marla, thank you so much for being with me on this episode of Unbeatable. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm thrilled that you're able to join me all the way from sunny Tampa, Florida. Tell everybody what it feels like in Tampa in the middle of the winter. Um, I hate to be this person, um, but it's freezing. Nuh-uh. It, Florida freezing though. It's not New York freezing. It is not Canada freezing. It is Florida freezing. So it's like 65. I just did that on purpose so that everybody else who's bitter, who's, who's buttled up in the bitter cold, they're like, I hate you so much right now that you're living in 65 degree weather in the middle of winter. But it's cold. Yeah. It's like winter cold. My husband actually yesterday to go to work, he goes to work at 5am and, um, he had frost on his windshield. What? In Tampa, Florida? Yes. And so he was in the garage, like digging for something because to clearly we the don't have an ice scraper. Right. Um, yeah. So he grabbed the uh, like spatula for paint or whatever. And he goes and he's like scraping it off. And of course he broke it and it was a mess. But um, so we're, we're really trying to survive winter here. Yeah. And for everybody around the rest of the country in the cold parts of the country, not just in America, but around the world who are bundled up right now, if you wonder why people in Tampa wear heavy winter parkas when it's 65 degrees out, it's because the summers are a little bit warmer and humid down those parts, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was actually something uh, that my family didn't realize being a military family. We actually moved here from Fort Drum, New York. Which oh is my goodness. Where you get a mountain of snow every winter up there, right? Absolutely. So this is, this was our reward for living in Fort Drum for three years. And um, so, yeah, when we got down here, we were swimming. We moved down here in November and we were swimming and we were doing all these things in November and come Black Friday sale, we went to the mall and everybody had on these big winter jackets and they were selling sweaters Uh in all the stores. And I'm like, and my kids had on shorts and I'm like, this is what are we doing here? Right. Shorts you know, and, and flip-flops when everybody else is wearing a heavy parka and a, and a yeah. wool cap. So now I'm from Florida. Um, I've claimed it. And um, so now I also, I don't have a parka yet, but I would like one because it is cold. Okay. So anybody wants us, uh, you know, recommend a good parka for Marla um, because it's 65 degrees. So what's the best parka for 65 degree weather? Um, let us know on social media, right? Yes, please. Um, Marla, let's talk a little bit about you're a military mom and a, a spouse. And I want to talk a little bit about the unique challenges that that brings. But before we get there, um, I want to uh, describe for people who don't know your background, uh, uh, your 
childhood because you grew up under some really harsh conditions. So can you kind of explain to people what, what life was like for you when you turned 10 years old and older? Yeah. Um, so actually I had a really kind of traumatic childhood. Um, I lost both my parents before I was 10 years old. Uh, my biological father passed away when I was six and my mother, um, passed away from breast cancer when I was nine. And, um, so I was left with someone who abused me until I was 18 years old. And, um, once I turned 18, I was thrown out onto the streets to be homeless. And, um, so I experienced homelessness as a young adult, and that was a pretty hard time for me. Um, and I, I learned a lot. Um, it was great life lessons, ones I would not have wanted to learn, but they have shaped me into who I am yeah. today. So I'm grateful for those experiences. Okay, so for people who just can't relate because they've never been homeless, don't know anybody who is homeless, describe a little bit about the harsh reality of being homeless. Kind of explain what this was like for you. Um, so what we're kind of taught in America about homelessness isn't really what homelessness is. Um, homeless community members are people just like you or I any one of us can be homeless tomorrow mm -hmm. um, due to life circumstances. And it's not always an individual's fault that they're homeless. Um, for me, I couldn't change my circumstance, my life circumstance as a child. Um, and so I didn't have the skills I needed to be successful um, because I was abused. And so I was taught kind of wrong things. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I turned 18, you know, I had no idea on how to survive in the world alone. And there are so many of my friends on the streets today. And I, I call them my friends and my family because that's what they are to me. Um, they're a part of my community. They're a part of your community. Um, and I want them to believe and understand that they are a part of all of our communities. Um, but experiencing homelessness, it was, it was really hard. It was agonizing. Um, of course you were ostracized. Um, you were made to feel as if you didn't belong. Right. Um, and that's a really harsh reality, uh, for men, for women, and especially for children. Um, I actually talk about, um, when I speak about staying in a homeless shelter, I stayed in a battered women's homeless shelter, um, for a few days when I was younger. And that was, actually kind of almost harder than being on wow. the streets. Um, and the reason being was because my personal security was violated yeah. every yeah. single turn. And so um, people think that, hey, you can just go stay in a shelter or, hey, you can just go get a job. And um, that's not true. Um, and we have this idea that, oh, well, if you're homeless, just go get a job. And I, and I bring up this because a lot of people say that, right? Well, you have the same opportunities as as me, go get a job. And I say, imagine this, imagine this guy who's lived on the street for months. He hasn't taken a shower in at least a month. Mm -hmm. His clothes are completely filthy and full of holes. He hasn't taken a shower in over a month. He's hungry. He smells like urine and he walks into your company to fill out a job application. Let's be honest yeah. in this matter. Right. Are you going to sit down with him and give him an interview? And then furthermore, will you hire him? Yeah. Not only that, but <laughs> what does he fill out when it asks for his place of address? Um, right. 
exactly. And so when people, when people discuss homelessness, they create this ideal, they create these expectations for homeless community members that we wouldn't even live by. I tell you right now, if I'm hungry, um, you probably can't get me to do much of anything. And that's now in my life today, yeah. right? If I haven't had my Starbucks, we're going to have a problem. All right. Um, <laughs> and so imagine if you haven't eaten in days, imagine I'm telling you, hey, you need to just go in there and get a job. And imagine me putting this expectation on you that you can be just as successful as me in my situation. Uh-huh. Um, if you've ever heard that analogy, we all have the same 24 hours, right? Right. And so many people say that all the time. And it's like, you're right, we do. But my 24 hours looks different than a homeless community member's 24 hours. In my 24 hours, I can eat, I can take a hot shower, I have cars, I have money, I have an address, like you said, I have all of these things that enable me to be successful. Imagine 24 hours as a homeless community yeah. member. They don't have the same empowering materialistic things or support that I have to be successful. So life is different. And, you know, a lot of times we forget that we have all of this, um, this misinformation where we, where we believe that, um, again, you can be just successful as I, you know, we're all the same, but that's not the truth. That's not honesty. Honesty is looking at their lives and realizing that after COVID, a lot of community members became homeless. Mm -hmm. If you look at Tampa's housing market right now, I mean, if you look at inflation, if you look at all of these things, all of these things play a factor into all of our everyday lives. They just affect all of our lives differently because you may have what I may not have. And so if you're hurt a little bit by our financial situation or our our economy in America, imagine how that's affecting someone who's on the brink of homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously you could talk about this for a while because of the Batista project and the, and the work that you're doing, helping people that are homeless. And I want to talk a little bit more about that project in a second, but I I'm sitting there listening to you and I'm thinking a girl who lost both her mother and her father before she reached 10 years old, she was abused for years by a step parent and then homeless and basically cast out onto the streets as a very young woman with no real, uh, you know, nobody taking care of you or protecting you. And I can't help but wonder why did this not make you, uh, turn you into somebody who is mean and bitter and a savage because most people would just be become really hardened by that kind of upbringing, but, but you're not that kind of woman. So how did you remain uh, you know, sensitive to what's happening to other people? Um, I saw the good in the world. And that was something that was instilled in me at a very young age was that the world is good. Most of the world is good. There are bad people in the world. Um, but most people are not bad people. Um, and so I have this kind of skewed view, I guess you can say of the world. Um, And so I think that when they say, oh, be careful because you might get kidnapped. Oh, we're so, we're so, um, you know, we have this security theater that we've created for things that have never happened, right? Be careful walking down the street because a white man might drive up and and kidnap you and, and, you know, hurt you. Uh It's like, what about the people in your family? What about the people that you know? Um, I've never been kidnapped and I honestly can't tell you any of anyone that I know that has been offered a lollipop and 
taken away by a strange person. Yeah. Most of the people that I know that have been abused and hurt have been by their own family right. and friends. Yeah. Um, and so this idea that the world is bad isn't something that was instilled in me. It was the world is good. There are good people. Most people are good and keep your faith. And so that's something that kind of kept me going was my faith in God. Um, my higher power is God. And, you know, that was something that I've always held on to throughout any trials or tribulations that I experienced. Yeah. I just had a chance to listen to the TEDx talk that you did just a few weeks ago, by the way, great job. Um, yeah. What I was really, really impressed with is how you helped people that had no connection with the kind of upbringing and the challenges that you experienced, how you helped the crowd that couldn't maybe understand homelessness, the way that you helped them understand what it might feel like to sleep on the streets and to eat on the streets and to not know when your next bath or your next meal is coming from. Tell us a little bit about that TEDx talk that people can go out there and find right now if they look at Marla Batista and TEDx, but talk about that, that talk that you gave not long ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wanted people who don't have experience with homelessness to kind of understand. I wanted to educate them on the truth of the matter. Um, again, because we talk a lot about homelessness, but we don't talk authentically about homelessness in our country. Um, and so I wanted people to experience that. So, you know, honestly, everyone had on their nice digs yeah. and, you know, they were all looking beautiful. Uh -huh. And, you know, I said, everybody stand up. And everybody stood up and they were, you know, they were super excited. This is the beginning of my speech. And I said, you know what? Sit on the floor. And all you hear was they were like, nah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> um, and so honestly, there were two people that literally crossed their legs and got on the wow. floor. And um, I was like, thank you to those two people who support me. Uh -huh. um, but the point of that was, was that we were in this big room. There were no walls. There were no bathrooms. What you had in that room was what you had. And so I wanted people sitting in that room to know that this, this place would be your home. This would be your bed. This would be your bathroom. This would be your kitchen, your living room, your dining room. This would be all you had. The contents of your purse would be everything that belonged to you. You wouldn't have any yeah. personal security. Yeah. These people that you don't even know who are beside you, these are your family and mm -hmm. your friends now. These are your confidants. And, you know, that's what makes it real is seeing those people. I have no idea who's sitting next to me, but you will live with them now. Right. And you don't have a choice. And you hope that they respect you as a human mm -hmm. not to violate you. Um, but that's not always the case. Yeah, I just want you to say, I just wanted to say to you, you did a great job, like the way that you brought that home to the, uh, to those women in that room. That was, that was incredible. Way to go. Thank you. Now, you know, this, we all, the, the folks that are listening to this episode know a home is more than just a house with a roof over your head. But when you're homeless, you don't even have that. What really makes a home is the family and the family that you have in the house with you. Um, you have a pretty amazing husband and some children. So let's talk about your family. Um, tell us about your husband and his uh, service in the uh, to the country. Yes, my husband is 
obviously a community and uh, he's a community servant and a servant of our country. He is an active duty army soldier. He is currently stationed at McDill Air Force Base here in Tampa, Florida. Um, he's been in the army for about 18 years and clearly he loves his job yeah. and his country. Um, either that or he just can't make decisions yeah. on what to do with his life. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> um, it spends anyway. 18 years trying to figure out what happens next. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Um, so at this point, he's close to retirement. Uh -huh. um, so that'll make the decision for him. But he honestly loves service. And um, our family has lived all over the world. I'm a mother of three. Um, I have an 11 year old, a nine year old and a six year old, two boys and a girl. And they are fun. And um, I need a synonym for rambunctious. I don't know what that would be, um, but so that they bounce off the walls is what you're saying. Basically all day, every day. Yeah. Um, so our life is super exciting. Um, and my kids have lived all over, all over the world. Um, and so I have a thing, I guess there was a system that my husband and I created where we had a baby at every duty station. And every time we moved that baby turned one. And so we had to nip that cycle in the bud. Um, you know, at about our third duty yeah, station. Right. Like, like the army's going to keep moving us. We're going to have 20 <laughs> children one day. Exactly. And so, um, our first, uh, active duty station was in Schofield barracks, Hawaii. Nice. And so I had a kid there. And then when my kid turned one, we were stationed, we were moved to Germany. And then, so I fly, you know, to Germany with one kid. And then all of a sudden when we're leaving Germany, now I have another kid that's one. And then the other kid, and then, so now I'm coming back to America with two kids and we moved to Colorado and then we moved to Colorado. I end up having another one and nice. then going to New York. I have now another one-year-old and two other kids. So I'm just like adding to the pack yeah. of people. And so, um, so now I have three. So we stopped that cycle in New York. Thank you. Um, that was a big <laughs> part of my life. Uh, very important as you can tell, um, because I often did a lot of solo parenting, yeah, yeah. um, as a military spouse working and parenting and going to school, all of these things were often alone. Um, and that was really hard for me as a military spouse, but it was also hard for my husband who couldn't be there. Um, sometimes during the most significant times in our lives, um, I had an entire child without him and, um, that was in Colorado. So we lived at this duty station in, in Fort Carson, Colorado. And I lived there for three years. I mysteriously got pregnant one day because my husband was gone. Promise you the almost entire three years. He came back just in time to get me pregnant and leave. And I know that this is an army thing. They did this. Yeah. I'm saying they put <laughs> something in the, the water. It was definitely exactly. in the water. And so he came home, got me pregnant, was like, oh my God, I have to leave so hard. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And so he leaves, right? I have this whole entire baby. I The baby's born, it's living, it's doing all the things. And 10 days before we moved to New York, my husband appears. So my neighbors are like, wait, so you have a husband? <laughs> I'm like, I have a husband. I said, I, I had a whole baby. Yeah. Like seriously. And so that's kind of a, like one of the hard challenges about our life is that sometimes you've got to go at it alone. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was getting my bachelor's degree, it was me and the kids, mm -hmm. me and the three kids. And, 
and it was difficult. But, you know, as military spouses, we're super resilient. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we are, and we can overcome the challenges just like our spouses. Yeah. Because it's not only my husband who has to serve our country, but if he's not okay, he can't be okay to right. serve. Yeah. And so I have to make sure that when he comes from Iraq or any of those places that he's got to have the best home environment. And that's a challenge for us as military spouses um, because we don't have a lot of resources to, to always make that happen. And a lot of times, you know, living Oconus in different countries, we don't have a yeah. lot of physical support yeah. either. I was just going to point out, um, you described this beautifully. There's so, there's some unique, uh, benefits, but some unique challenges of being a military family and those, the sense of unknown or those long, uh, trips where your, your spouse is not with you, man, that, that puts some stress on a marriage. It puts some challenges on being a mother. And I try to say this to military families. Every time I see them, I, I always want to thank the person that served the service member. But I like to thank the spouse and the children as well because of the amazing sacrifices that that you have made and are still making. So I just want to say thank you for those sacrifices your family makes for our freedom. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, hey, you moved. Yes, my I, children are affected as well. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say you moved around a lot. I would love to know. You had a chance to live in Hawaii and in Germany and several other places. So which was your favorite up to this point? Um. I would say, so the best benefit I always say, you know, for military life is of course the travel, um, traveling around the world right. has been amazing for my family. Um, I mean, my husband was like, when we got married, um, you know, he's like, Hey, I want to give you this honeymoon. Do you want to go to Hawaii for three years? Oh, a three year honeymoon in Hawaii. That sounds beautiful. It, Except yeah. for he's just not going to be there for a lot of it. Exactly. He literally went to Iraq uh, yeah. during our honeymoon. Yeah, I knew exactly <laughs> where this was going. Yeah. Yeah. So um, honestly, I think living in Germany was one of our greatest experiences because we did have the opportunity to travel and being this American family. Um, I always have to point out how American we were in Germany. Yeah, because I bet. We GMC Yukon truck. <laughs> um, and we're driving it to France and the roads are about, you know, as thin as, you know, a mm -hmm. mini Cooper. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun, but just being able to, to have my children experience world culture, um, different cultures. And, and I had, again, I had a kid there. So I was, I had a kid at um, a German hospital uh -huh. because our military post was getting shut down. And so I did have a child overseas on the economy and, um, you know, visiting the Eiffel Tower and learning about our history because our history comes from there, yeah. you know? And so learning about that and being able to share that with my children was just an amazing experience. Yeah. I was just thinking for lots of parents, that's kind of an, uh, an, an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to experience a culture on uh, and still get paid for it while you're overseas. Well, you know, there's some benefits, but there's also some challenges. Absolutely. You've, you've taken your experiences as a military spouse, a military family, and you started writing about them. So let's talk about writing. Um, when did you start writing? Why did you start to put into print what was going on in your life and, you know, your thoughts about it? Um, so my life dream was to be a writer. Um, I've always wanted to be a writer. 
Um, and so during the hard times in my childhood, I would actually sit in my closet and I would actually like write short stories and poetry. Um, and um, I did that as a way of escaping the harsh reality of my life. Um, and I would read in there too. I was an avid reader. Um, I was a connoisseur of Babysitter's Club books. All right. Entire series. And I actually have, I received a book. Someone donated a lot of books to our organization and the Babysitter's Club books were in there recently. And I was like, ah! And you were like, jackpot. Yes. And so of course my daughter's and I, so I'm like, you don't know anything about uh -huh. this. I'm going to teach you all about babysitters club. And she's like, eh, you know, they're all into YouTube and all the things. And, um, but then Netflix came out with the babysitters club show. And so it kind of solidified my rant to my child, yeah. I guess. Made, made <laughs> mom cool to her for a little bit. Exactly. Cause I was like, obviously if it's cool enough for them to make a Netflix show, then it must've been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so I loved reading. I loved to write. And I actually wrote my first book um, as a child. And I'm actually going to show you. All right. Because it's never been published. And so when I show you, um, I can't publish it. I'm trying to figure it out. Here it is. Oh, it's on the old school floppy disk. <laughs> hey, for those of you who are driving in your car and listening right now, she's got a print copy and an old school floppy disk of her first book. Um, yes. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> So I have this, and if you look, this is from the amazing clip art uh -huh. um, from Word, from Microsoft Word back in the day, because this is how we used to, you know, do our graphics. Right. And so I have it all on print and on this floppy. And so um, I do have an external hard drive. I found one for the floppy. The problem now is that the floppy, I can't format it. Yeah. Maybe you can, if there is an IT. Yeah. Some smart person out there needs to be able to tell her on social media, go to her, go to Marla's social media yes. page and tell her how to get that stuff off of the old school floppy Please. disk and onto a hard drive. Yes. This um, is literally my book and I still have it because I don't know what else to do. Like, yeah. what can I do? Yeah. Save me. Seriously. Somebody go to her social media page and give her some advice today. Um, hey, so how did you get started? Like the the process of writing the book I get, but how did you actually get the first book into print? And by the way, your first book was Brave Women. Is that right? Um, no, actually, my first book was uh, My Thoughts Abandoned. Um, and that is actually a poetry compilation um, that I actually self-published. Um, and that was a fairly easy process. But that actually was poems that I wrote from my childhood up until young adulthood. And that was the first book that was published in mine in I think 2017, I wanna say. Uh -huh. um, and that was my first self-published book. My second book was Brave Women, Strong Faith. And that's an actual um, anthology uh, with me and about 20 other military spouses. And that book is so powerful because it shares all of our different experiences but how they're all connected um, to military life today. And if people want to get a copy of Brave Women, Strong Faith, where do they go? Um, so if you want to get a copy of Brave Women, Strong Faith, you can actually visit Amazon. The book is on Amazon. You can also visit my personal website, MarlaBaltista.com, um, and get a copy of that book as well. And we're going to put links, by the way, if uh, to this episode, so you can find the link to her book and to also her, to her website if you're not sure how to spell her last name. Don't worry about it. Just find the link to this episode or find the notes to this episode and the links will be in there. 
if, if someone is sitting there thinking, I've got a few things that I'd like to say, and I don't know if I have what it takes to put them in print. You're a very accomplished writer. I, I, if people are not familiar with the amount of freelance work, just how broad your freelance work is, you've written a lot. So how, what would you say to that person who's got some things to say? Maybe they've scratched it on a piece of paper, but they're not sure how to get it out there. How do they get it out there? Just write it down. And if you're not a great writer, but you have a message to share, I am going to, I'm just like all full of tricks today. Sony, a Look at Sony that. recorder. This was $29 at Amazon. And look at this. With a USB drive. She's holding right. up a Sony uh, voice recorder with a USB plug-in in it. So $29, you can get it started, right? Yes. You can actually just, you know, spill out your thoughts here. And when you record, it automatically saves it and it saves it by date or you can label it however you want. So you can go back to it. So I did have the cassette recorder because I'm a journalist by, you know, you know, by nature. So I had the cassette where you had to rewind and try to find yeah, where you were at. Yeah. Um, but now you don't have to. Um, and so I'm coming of age now. Uh, where I'm learning all the cool new tricks that, that the kids have. So if you wonder like how these celebrities are writing books so fast, especially if they sometimes can't put two sentences together. <laughs> in an um, interview, wait a second, <laughs> what they sound like in an interview, what they sound like on a book is not the same, right? Literally, it's yeah. not the same. I'm like, if, are you, you wrote a book? Yes, they wrote a book and that's absolutely how they're doing it. They're recording their thoughts. And a lot of times they use ghostwriters. They'll record their thoughts and someone else will transcribe them into a book. And they'll, um, as a writer, I am tasked to make it readable. Yeah. You've written for a lot of sources. You've written on a lot of military pieces for military publications, but you've, you've branched out from there. Like, I am so impressed that you've got articles published with NASCAR and with other big, uh, you know, big uh, agencies out there. So the freelance writing world is a little bit different. Um, describe being a freelance writer for people. Um, you're poor. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, you're never going to make it rich as a freelancer. Exactly. All right. Let me be honest. Let me start by being honest. Um, no freelance. I love freelancing, especially as a military spouse. I love to have the opportunity to remote work and take my work with me wherever I go. And so as a freelance writer, you just, you you find these jobs on LinkedIn, honestly, Twitter, I find so many jobs on Twitter. Um, and you know, publications looking for a certain article. So NASCAR and Miami Herald and all these different places, fashion magazines, you know, I've written for so I have this big, huge variety of, of information and you can always research something. I have a friend, um, who was also a freelance writer and they're like, you know, what do you write about? She's like, Jesus and weed. So it's like <laughs> in the same article at the same time. Literally. No, but you know, so that's the life of a freelance writer. You're, you're, you know, you're able to transcend through subjects, yeah. through topics, through, um, cultures. And so the internet today is an open book, right? We can learn about anything we want. And I was like, imagine being a writer back in the day. So when I first started my writing gigs, I'm going to say as a kid doing research, my grandmother had the most beautiful set 
uh, Britannica Encyclopedia. I remember right? those. Yeah. And so if you imagine today how much research I did, how many articles, how many presentations, how many book reviews, how many uh, book reports I've written, right? Using that information. That information, Jeff, never changed. Right. <laughs> like it never changed. Yeah. We were writing the same thing over and over and over again. Today, we have um, a network of ever-changing information by the second, you know, where something new is happening right now where we can learn about it. And so having, you know, Google Scholarly, if you yeah. ever, you know, go on Google Scholarly, not regular Google, like actual scholar.google.com. That's the address. Yes. Yep. Yes. Go to, go to reviewed pieces, go to, you know, science-based research and, and research that has been reviewed, has been, um, solidified, I guess, by, mm -hmm. by our educators in the world. And, um, you can, you can do anything, you can learn anything and you can create anything. My nine-year-old daughter started teaching herself Japanese what? in her home by herself, literally for whatever reason. I, honestly, at this point, I feel like she's running away to Japan. She's smart like her mama. That's why <laughs> she is. I literally came in her room one day and she had this big piece of cardboard with all these Japanese, um, lettering on it. Well, she translated their font and into English letters. And then she taught herself the meaning of these wow. words. And I'm almost 40 years old. And I'm like, I can't do yeah, that. Wow. She literally is teaching herself Japanese in her room. Like, I'm like, can you go outside or something <laughs> else? But no, this is what she does. And she is immersing herself in that culture. But I'm just like blown away because she actually taught me some of the words that she knows in the sentences and yeah. the variations and gender, uh, the way, you know, how we say things uh -huh. gender wise. And so, oh, it's, it's honestly, it's the easiest and hardest gig you can have, right? Because it's easiest because you can find jobs anywhere. Freelancewriting.com. I mean, Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn has yeah. jobs for everyone everywhere all the time. Um, but journalism jobs, you hashtag journalism jobs uh, on Twitter or on Instagram, you will find people looking for articles yeah. and yeah. people are looking for all points of views. And we know that right. we read this stuff, you know, so my point of view may be different from yours, but they also want to hear your point of view mm -hmm. and you can get paid for it. Um, Just not a whole lot. You're not going to get, get paid a lot, but you do get paid for it. You, you do get paid. Yeah. I mean, I've had some pretty good ones and I've had some pretty bad ones. Yeah. And, you know, I've honestly, I've been paid a lot in exposure. Um, and I actually tried to pay my light bill with my exposure and they didn't accept it. So that was super weird. Yeah. I was like, I got paid in exposure. They're like, yeah, we don't take that. Thank you. Um, one of the things that you write pretty regularly and consistently is your blog hood sense. Um, Describe your blog just a little bit for people who haven't connected with you before. Uh, so my blog, HoodSense, is a blog about uh, financial readiness for regular people, for people who are living day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck, uh -huh. making ends meet. That is what HoodSense is. Um, because a lot of times um, within my community, in my culture, um, in my circumstance that I had uh, being homeless and starting from nothing, I wasn't giving information. I wasn't given information that would actually help me thrive. I was given the, the Dave Ramsey of the, 
of the financial literacy information was like, you need a thousand dollar emergency fund. I'm uh-huh. like, I don't have a thousand dollars. Like, and I won't for the next year. So, you know, I wanted to create a place where people who were living day to day, you know, who were living on a low income or, or moderate income to be able to make strides to um, get to a better place financially in their lives. Well, um, thanks for describing that. I have a little segment. We talked about this just before we started today. I have this segment that I call my high five. And what I'd like to do with you for just a second, Marla, is kind of go back and forth about finances and about the mistakes that people make. And sometimes they don't even know they're making mistakes. But what I'd like to do is describe like the top five nonsense, not hood sense, but nonsense mistakes that people make with money. And maybe they don't even know that they're doing it. So are you ready? Can we go back and forth with this for a minute? Absolutely. All right. So in my top five, these are mistakes. Like just if you're doing these things, stop doing these things because they're never going to make things better for you. Number five on my list is when you go take that vacation that you know, you can't afford just so that you can have some pictures to put on Instagram, right? Absolutely. What would you say are one of those mistakes that people make with their money? Starbucks. Oh, and here's a Starbucks <laughs> fan saying, hey, that Starbucks coffee doesn't need to cost you $7. Maybe you can make it a little bit cheaper at home, right? And make it cheaper at home, yes. All right. So what about those people that buy big items like furniture or a TV? Um, This is number four on my list. Same as cash, right? So you don't have to pay for like the next 60 months. And and it's that interest free is the same thing as having cash, right? No. (laughs) Marla is shaking her head. No, interest free does not equal cash. No, stay away from Rent-A-Center. Please do not put things, if you can't afford it today, you need to save your money and wait for it. Yeah. Instant gratification is um, you're going to pay for that. Literally, right. you're going to you're literally going to pay for that <laughs> mistake, yeah. right? Absolutely. And, all right. So here's the next one on my list. And think about it. Uh, you can think about another one to add to this list. Um, what about those people that are paying literally paying a credit card payment using another credit card? Like it, 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 it can't get any worse. I mean, you can't dig your hole any deeper than when you're making credit card payments and you can't afford to pay the credit card off. So you use another credit card to pay a credit card payment. Shred it. Right. <laughs> you need to shred it and start paying. Um, you're in a bad place. Definitely in a bad place. Is there something else that comes to your mind right now about some of the nonsense mistakes people make with money? Swipe and not record. Uh-huh. You need to know what you're spending your money That's on. That's right. So you go Both and them add up. Yeah. So you go and just swipe your debit card or your credit card again and again and again and have no idea until the statement shows up. Wait a second, where did all that come from? Mm-hmm. I I uh number two on my list uh is the people that buy way too much house and they end up being house rich and cash poor. Like you can't even afford food in the cabinets, but you got an amazing house. You just can't afford anything else. That's all you got. You can't even put window. Uh, you can't even put uh, cheap curtains over the windows because you're so broke. You bought too much house. So I'm going to piggyback off of that and say purses. And I'm cringing on the inside Uh-oh. when I say that because I love purses too. Got a little experience um, there. Yeah, I have experience. And so, um, you know, I was in a class one time, a financial class, and the teacher was saying, you know, you got this super cute purse. 
but there's nothing there's in nothing it. in it right it's empty <laughs> it's empty and i was like oh, i am offended <laughs> <laughs> because I, that was me. Yeah. I wanted that. I wanted that Louis Vuitton. I wanted that, you know, Michael Kors. And I don't have a Tory Burch or, you know, a Birkin because that's just way out of my league. But when you're getting those, those things, what else could you do? Yeah. Could you invest that and have enough for two purses? You know? Yeah. Um, I noticed that you said you were offended, but you didn't argue that your purse is, you have a very nice purse, but it was empty. I, I picked up on that, by the way. I mean, Jeff, there was lipstick in it. So uh-huh. that's important. Okay. So here's number one on my list. And, and I hope that you'll have a moment to talk about this. People that make nonsense decisions with money, number one is because they just don't have a plan for their money. And then their money ends up going wherever it ends up going because they don't have a plan. So what would you say to the people that just don't have a plan and it comes in and it goes out and they don't really even know where it's going because they don't have a plan. Yeah. Take a moment and either speak to a financial advisor or there are plenty of free templates online where you can literally analyze your own income and your debt. When you do that, you can realize how much money you either have or don't have left over after you've been paid and you pay your bills. Um, and so my husband and I did this prior to having kids because we were just always poor and didn't even understand why we we're in our 20s. So that was probably a part of it. Yeah. And brand um, new babies are expensive. Yeah. And so, well, this was pre-baby. So we were just like, we were partying. Let me All be right. honest. You know, and so we went to a financial advisor uh, through the army. Uh, the army emergency relief program provides uh-huh. like financial readiness classes and stuff. And so we went there and the lady went down our, um, you know, our checks and balances, what our income was, what our debt was coming out. And when she was done with no extra spending, just our bills coming out of our checks, she was like, you have $1,700 a month left over. And you were like, no, I don't. Exactly. Again, I was like, <gasps> I'm offended. How dare you say I have that much money? Because no, I don't. Where is it? Give it to me. (laughs) And I realized that uh, my husband and I were spending $500 a month on alcohol. We were drinking a lot of wine and a lot of beers, right? Um, We were having a lot of parties. We're in our 20s. Um, My husband went to Iraq, came back. It was a lot of partying happening. And so we were doing that. We also love to eat. My favorite thing to do is eat. And I am not hungry at home. Okay. I have that problem. It's a, I I don't know if it's in my genes. I don't know if it's, I got to get it checked out. Um, But I am not hungry at home. But as soon as the garage door closes, I'm like, oh God, I'm so hungry. Let's go Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) Right. And that's where our money was going. We were eating and drinking $1,700 a month. And so I tell people, look at that and and find out where you can cut that out. So I actually don't drink at all. My husband doesn't drink either um, because we we have three kids now. So they are our drinks. Right. (laughs) Our drinks have turned into children. Uh Um, And so we just, we can't afford that. Um, And so check out where your money's going. You know, those Starbucks, oh my God, if you look at $7 Starbucks every single day, how much that money you're spending. That is a lot of money. Yep. It is 
thousands upon thousands of dollars per year. What could you do? What you could have done with that, those thousands of dollars is pay that credit card, like Jeff was saying, without using another credit yeah. card. If you do it long enough, you could buy a new car, literally, with just one drink a coffee a day. car. Yeah. <laughs> you um, can buy an entire car. That's yeah. crazy. So you don't just help people get their finances under control with the Hoodsense blog, but I, you mentioned it already. Let's talk about the Batista project and how you're really, you, you helped create a nonprofit that helps people just have the basic necessities of life who are struggling. So mm -hmm. describe the Batista project. So the Batista project is a nonprofit organization that provides for homeless community members currently here in Tampa, Florida. We have, what we do is we create individualized plans for homeless community members because not everyone's the same. Not everyone needs the same thing. And so um, a lot of organizations in our country, we kind of take this blanket approach or band-aid approach yeah. to fix our issues. One size right? fits all, right? Exactly. And it doesn't. So in our human services systems and in our criminal justice systems, we go and we take these people and we take these hundred people and we put these hundred people all in the same classes, the same, we give them all the same resources and yeah. then 10 of them are successful, but the other 90, you wasted your resources on. And so this is something that we do differently. One, because we don't have a lot of resources Two, because we are resourceful. I mean, look at my background, right? I can pinch a penny. Okay. And so what we do is we create individualized plans because you may need a GED, but someone else may have a, a master's degree, uh -huh. you know? And so we make sure that we're providing those services specifically to those who need it. And we also recognize um, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs exists. So stop asking people to go get a job when they're hungry. Stop asking people to sit in your, your classes when they don't have clothes on their back. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. So let's meet their basic needs first, meaning food, shelter, personal security. We need to meet those needs first before we can go to the next level of needs. Um, so we create those plans to make sure that we get them stable before we ask anything of them. Yeah. You can't think. My kids, and they say this at school all the time, right? Your kids in school can't take a test if they're hungry. Why are you asking other people to do that? Right. So we create those plans. So we have a lot of different programs within um, our organization that prevent and eliminate homelessness for homeless community members. So we do also work with young kids um, who are also in foster yeah. care to prevent their homelessness um, because that's important. They need to have the skills to be successful. So when they're kicked out onto the streets, they can survive. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, that's from my personal experience. I want to make sure that they have the tools that I did not have. Um, and so that's what we do. And our biggest goal is to make individuals feel like they belong yeah. within yeah. our community because they do. They're part of our community, whether you like it or not. If you have a homeless community member living in your community, we're, we're accounting for them in our community, which means that we're paying taxes for that individual. We're using resources for that individual within our community. So why not? Let's take the cheaper route and help them right. versus the more expensive route and by imprisoning yeah. them or, you know, keeping them homeless. That actually costs us more money. That costs you more money keeping those individuals on the streets.
Yeah, so I noticed that you call them your friends on the streets. I think that's beautiful language. But what you just described that is different and I think very powerful is it's not just trying to treat people that are already homeless. You're also trying to prevent homelessness. And if somebody wants to get involved or they want to support the Batista Project, where do they go? How do they find out more? Yeah, so you can always visit our website, thebautistaprojectinc.org, um, to find out how you can either volunteer. We accept virtual volunteers from all over all the world right. um, because that's important. As a military spouse, you need to have opportunities, and I always didn't have opportunities because of where I live. And so we want to make sure we provide opportunities for all of our communities. So we have virtual volunteer opportunities. You can always donate uh, money to our organization. You can donate to a specific cause if you want to donate to a specific program. Um, and we have an Amazon wish list. So if you'd like to provide items for homeless community members directly, you can always go to our Amazon wish list. That's also on our website. Um, and so you can definitely directly help. And I want to show you one thing really fast. All right. Um, and so I also, if you want to support our youth program, it's called the Belonging Blanket Program, and we make blankets and pillows out of military uh, look uniforms. at that, yeah. Hey, she's holding up right now this blanket that has patches of military camouflage all over it, for those of you who can't uh, see this episode, and a pillow, a uh, camouflage pillow. Yeah, so these are actually made from real uniforms. This isn't just a fabric printed. These are actually uniforms that were donated to us from all over the world from service members who served our country. Um, and so if you'd like to donate uniforms to us, our address is on the website and we've received boxes of uniforms. If you do donate uniforms to us, please share your story of service mm -hmm. because those stories we tell to the children um, who receive these blankets and pillows. Yeah. These blankets and pillows are not sold. They're only given to children in foster care because we want them to have something that belongs to them, something that no one else can take away from them. And when they move from home to home, they will know that they have a piece of courage and bravery that a service member who wore this uniform wanted them right. specifically yeah. to have. And so that's what we do. Um, we try to kind of combat all elements of homelessness because it's important. It's not just important to help people who are homeless. It's important to help prevent individuals homelessness. Yeah. And after COVID kind of guys, we've all experienced, you know, hardships during this pandemic. And so let's help those people who, like I said, were already on the brink of homelessness. Yeah. And if you want to get involved, if you want to donate, or if you want to send some uniforms or even just support the Batista project, we'll put that link in the notes to this episode as well. Marla, you're amazing. Um, I said it before, a lot of people who went through the childhood that you went through would turn into a very bitter, very mean, very difficult uh, person, but you didn't. And I want you to end this episode by just talking to people who are going through something hard right now. Maybe not exactly what you went through, um, living with your step parent, but something really difficult. What's one piece of advice that you would give them if they're facing some real struggles today? That's hard. Um, I, I want people to know that there is another side to what you're going through. There is another side. You will come out on the other end of this. And a lot of times when we're in the middle of our mess, when we're in the middle of our trauma, 
we don't see the good. We don't see the other side of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel. But there is a light. If you get closer, as you get closer, you'll start to see that light. Um, And if there's something that you're going through that you can change, change it. Yeah. Change it. It's not going to be easy. It's absolutely not going to be easy. We like this instant gratification, um, this instant feel better, but it's not going to be easy. I went through years and years of hell to get to where I am today. And it was not easy, but I kept going. Yeah. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to keep going because there is another side of this. I love this, your story that describes a woman who just keeps going in the face of adversity. That's the whole reason this podcast exists. And Marla, I just want to personally say thank you for taking the time to be with me on this episode. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you allowing me to share my story with the world. Yeah. And by the way, tell your husband for me and your children, thanks for the service and the sacrifice that they're making, would you? Thank you. I will. We'll see you around. Thank you. You just heard from Marla. If you're going through some struggles, if it's difficult for you right now, please keep in mind, it won't stay like this forever. So find the strength to just get up and face those challenges today believing that there's a day coming where things will start to get better. She's amazing, isn't she? Hey, if you found our podcast for the first time, I just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode of Unbeatable. And I'd love for you to follow us on social media. You know, you can find us just about everywhere. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. And if you really liked what you heard today, why don't you go out there and rate us on all of the prominent podcast platforms and let everybody else know how awesome this episode was. And if you're going through some hardships and you need a little bit of encouragement along the way, I got a free gift, totally free. It's absolutely available to you and it won't cost you anything. It's the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. And all you gotta do to get it is just go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I hope you have a great week. And I'll see you right back here next time.